Good day, everyone. This is Dave Rimes, and you're listening to Sound Bites, where sound theology and sound advice meets everyday life. It's not easy making our way in the world. There are decisions at every turn, many voices vying for our attention. In today's soundbite, I'll be sharing from Psalm 119, verses 97 through 112, on how God's Word gives us wisdom for the journey. So as we come to this text this morning, we're going to be talking about how God's law helps us along the path of life. Now I know for most of you here, you've got some Louisiana roots, right? Uh, For most of you, I see around here, I see a lot of local faces, even just Louisiana faces. And if you're from Louisiana, then you know we have some weird laws, right? I mean, there's there's a lot that's weird about us, let's just be honest. But we do have some weird laws. In fact, if you grew up in school and here in Louisiana, then you are taught that when it comes to laws, we're kind of in a class all of our own. You know, see, our laws are unlike the laws in the other 49 states. We get our laws from the Napoleonic Code rather than the uh, British form of common law. Now, if you want to know what that means, my suggestion is find a lawyer, buy them a cup of coffee, and let them explain it to you, because I would not do a good job of explaining the differences in common law and Napoleonic Code. But the fact remains is that our laws are just a little bit different. But beside the fact that they're different, we have enacted some rather strange laws, some of which they're still on the books. Let me just give you a few examples. Now, this first law that I find a little strange is actually one I can get behind. It is illegal in Louisiana to have a snake within 200 yards of a Mardi Gras parade route. I'm all for that. By the way, if the state could just somehow extend that 200-yard parameter around me personally, I'd be happy. So, Joe, if you can maybe work on that for me, I, I, I would love that because I hate snakes. And if I could just know I could walk around in a 200-yard snake-free zone, as long as I'm in state, I'm all for it. Now, some of you may be wondering a burning question, what do I do with my alligator when I go into a restaurant or something like that? Well, I want you to know here in Louisiana, it is illegal for you to tie off your alligator on a fire hydrant. So if You tied it off on a fire hydrant here downtown to come into worship, you're breaking the law. Okay, I just want you to know that. Don't want you to get in trouble. Uh, Another law that I'm in full compliance of is it's actually still on the books that it is illegal to wear a goatee in public. So now you know why I sport the full beard. I'm a law-abiding citizen. Besides, I don't know how much permits are to wear goatees in public. Maybe they're expensive. I have no idea. But you know, some laws are just laughable, aren't they? I mean, why are they even on the books? But there are some laws that we we agree with, we nod, that's a good law for for us. It's, it's, It's equitable, it's just, I like that law. But other laws, they grieve us to the very core, don't they? Because of their injustice, because of their inequality, or perhaps... They're just plain savagery. 
anywhere you go in the world, you're going to find laws that are good, bad, and downright ugly. And so it's hard to completely love a system of laws. And rightly so. Man-made laws will always be flawed. There will always be something unlovely about the laws that we enact for our society. And with that in mind, as we approach this text here in Psalm 119, we approach it with a bit of uneasiness. Can we truly love God's law? Can we love it to the same extent as the psalmist? I mean, he's setting a very high bar here, as we'll see. Now, some of you may be aware, maybe you're not aware, but right now, God's law has become an ever-increasing topic of conversation, both inside and outside of the church. And this conversation happens in the same way that we talk about man-made laws. Some people will say, well, some of the laws in the Bible, uh, they're they're just plain silly. Uh, Some are, are good, and some are just horrific. You don't have to dig around social media very long to find arguments and counter-arguments on the value, justice, and authority of God's law. One of the harshest critiques of Christianity today centers on the topic of God's law. In other words, the validity of the Christian faith and whether or not it should have a place in our society is being determined in part by how people think about God's law. It's not the only thing that's being called into question, but it is a big part of the public discussion going on in America today. Therefore, how we approach, think, and respond to God's law is critical. Now, it's always been critical, mind you. It's just that at this time and this particular intersection of faith and culture, It's taken on center stage in a lot of ways, which means we need to get this right. If we're going to fulfill our mission as a church, which is to make disciples by engaging them with the good news of Jesus, both in word and in deed, then we're going to need to be able to provide a response when God's law is thrown down and trampled on as if it is just another evil construct of oppressive religion. Thankfully, the Bible is more than adequate to help us with this task. In particular, our text this morning from Psalm 119, beginning in verse 97. Let me read that for us. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for they have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it, 
to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my freewill offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hands continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. This morning, I want to point out some truths from this text and then give you some takeaways about how we can live this out in our lives. So first, let me draw your attention to how the psalmist begins this psalm. Look at his opening statement. Oh, how I love your law. The psalmist, most likely David, he loves God's law exclamation point. There is no picking and choosing. There's not trying to weigh one law over the other. He loves the totality of God's law. So the question we must now ask this text is, does he have good reason to? Is David just the product of culture and his upbringing, blindly following the popular religion of his day? Is he just making grandiose statements about faith without actually examining what he truly believes? This text makes it clear that that is not the case. So why does David love God's law? More importantly, why should we? For starters, God's law makes you wise and gives you understanding that is greater than the world's. I'll be honest. When I, when I read through the first part of this text at first glance here, uh, beginning in verse 98, it sounds like David is just kind of being an arrogant punk who disrespects his elders, right? He's talking about how I have more understanding than all my teachers. I understand more than the aged. That gets you a whooping at least in my house if you talked like that to a teacher or a parent. I mean, you can almost kind of hear the eyes roll in the okay boomer in David's voice. But is that what he's really doing? Let's look at the text. David mentions three groups of people, his enemies, his teachers, and the aged. Each of these groups speaks, seeks to influence how David sees the world. They want to shape and mold David's thoughts and thus his actions as he interacts with the world around him. In other words, these groups want to impart a version of wisdom and understanding that will cause David to believe, to think, and to act just like them. It's their version of the world that they want David to embrace as his own. And here's the kicker. These same groups of people exist today, and they want the same thing for you and me. There are people in this world who do not have your best interest at heart. You know that. But they do want to hold your heart captive. And this is what David would refer to as his enemies. Now, I know that's harsh language, enemies. It smacks of this us versus them mentality. 
But let's just face reality. Anyone seeking to lead you away from the truth of God is not your friend. They're not your ally. So you and I are bombarded with half-truths and misinformation and outright lies every waking hour of the day. And it's not just information for information's sake. These are beliefs and values and convictions for you to consume and to adopt. And because they stand in direct opposition to God and his law, they're not good for us. See, if you feed someone food, well, you become a nurturer. You feed someone poison, and now you're a murderer. Just because you're getting fed doesn't mean what you're taking in is beneficial. Let's not get confused about who we're dealing with here. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 10, that the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. Jesus is referring to those who are not him. Those who lead people astray with their version of things instead of God's. And it results in their destruction. That being the case, I don't think enemy is too strong a word. I think it's right on point. Well, what about these teachers and the aged? Not only are there those in this world who misinform with malintent, but there are also so-called experts who seek to convince us based on their knowledge and experience. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not knocking education and experience, and neither is the Bible. What I am saying is that education and experience don't validate a truth claim. Let me say that again. Education and experience do not validate a truth claim. It doesn't matter how much you know or how long you've lived. Neither is an adequate standard for truth. Education and experience can help us go deeper into the truth, but they cannot be a substitute for the truth itself. It may come across as wisdom, as insight, as fresh ways to look at the world. Hey, lots of people are buying into it, seemingly benefiting from it, and even finding success because of it. So it can't be all that bad, can it? Well, how can we know How do we begin to judge what we hear and experience and see as to whether or not it's good for us, whether or not it's right? Well, the psalmist gives us a clear answer right out of the bat here. He says, oh, how I love your law. You want to know what's right? Love God's law by knowing and meditating on it in every rhythm of your life. In doing this, we become wise. Wise enough to know what is right and wise enough to know what is wrong. You and I, we have no other place to turn for this kind of wisdom except for the Bible. It can't be found anywhere else. All other attempts at wisdom fall short when compared to the truth of Scripture. The Apostle Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthians, he states this, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? 
Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And later in the same letter, he continues there in chapter 3. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. You know, it's clear from these passages that God does not think very highly of the world's wisdom. And for that matter, neither should we. These self-proclaimed wise, the talking heads on the news, their firebrand giving his hot take on social media, the influencer speaking with confidence and conviction, all have the same judgment leveled against them by a holy God, and that is this, I know your thoughts. And they are futile. It may sound right, but dear family, it's not. Some of you know I'm kind of a nerd. Actually, I'm a big nerd. And I can't help but think of this scene from The Fellowship of the Ring. In this case, the movie's not the books. It's where Boromir confronts Frodo about having to carry the burden of the ring all by himself. You see, Boromir wants to take the ring to the capital city of his kingdom and use it against the enemy. And so he's trying to use comforting words to convince Frodo to go along with his plan. And here's what Boromir says in that scene. I know why you seek solitude. You suffer. I see it day by day. You sure you do not suffer needlessly? There are other ways, Frodo, other paths that we might take. To which Frodo replies, I know what you would say, and it would seem like wisdom, but for the warning in my heart. You know, I'm afraid that there are too many today, even in the church, who don't just fail to heed the warning in their heart. It's that there's no warning at all. Thanks for listening. We pray this clip has been helpful and invite you to connect with more content from First Baptist on our website at fbcbr.com or through our social media accounts on Facebook and Instagram, username at fbcbr. Until next time, let us keep looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God.